In fact, there, there are times where we ought to, as we come to the table, uh, be in real mourning and grief and repentance, and, and we have been doing that this morning with Psalm 51, looking, I hope, deep into your heart as we approach this table. But once we have uh, uh, dealt with those sins, once we have been reminded of that great forgiveness that God gives to us, then there should be utter rejoicing. And that's, that's what we must do as we come to the table today. You remember, maybe some of you, uh, your task as a kid was to uh, set the table. There's a lot of chores I didn't really like as a kid. I didn't mind setting the table because that meant that supper was coming. And so that's what we need to, to keep in mind here as we approach this table that symbolizes, yes, the death and sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. But it symbolizes, because of that death and sacrifice, our new relationship in Him. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. Let's pray together. Oh, Lord, how, how we thank You for the opportunity to be reminded of who we are because of what Jesus has done. Will you cause your spirit to impress that upon us and move us and give us a renewed joy of our salvation, of our relationship with you? And we pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. For those of you that are visiting with us, uh, we have been going through the, the book of Ephesians for some time. We're taking this week out. In one sense, we are going to focus on our verse of the year, but you will quickly see that uh, there's another sense that we're still in Ephesians. Uh, when I say our verse of the year, let me explain that. Every year we, we pick a verse to focus on we give out cards at the beginning of the year. The first Sunday in January, I preached on 1 John 3, 1. And then for, uh, the next three Wednesday nights, Adam Williams taught about that and expanded on that on Wednesday nights. And you have been encouraged to memorize that, meditate on it, think about it, apply it in your own life. Now, we are halfway through the year and I want us to revisit as we approach the Lord's table today. But here's how we're going to do it. 
we are going to do it using the book of Ephesians. And here's why. I am convinced that with, with the idea of talking about what God has done in uh, calling us children of His because of what Jesus has done and because of His great love, that I could take virtually any book in the Bible and teach that. Because in essence, isn't that the theme? Isn't that what the, the Word of God is about? And so we're going to look in Ephesians how it expounds on 1 John 3.1. And, and we won't spend as much time as we did the first time through on all these verses. We're putting them together in a different way. But I want us to make use of that great epistle that we have been studying at. Now, in order to appreciate our, our present status, who we are in Christ, we have got to be reminded where we came from, who we were. So we begin by being reminded that we were not children of God. Ephesians chapter 2 tells us, in fact, we were spiritually dead. And you were dead in your trespasses, Ephesians 2, 1, and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. We will never appreciate our hopeless estate that we were in unless we fully grasp this, unless we fully believe what Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says here about what our, our status was. It's so foundational that if we tweak it even a little bit, if we give up on it even a little bit, then it will change all the rest of our theology pertaining to salvation. In other words, when I say tweak it a little bit, give up on it a little bit, he says we are, are spiritually dead. If we begin to think, well, like some teach, well, you know, we're not, we're not really dead spiritually. We might have been sick unto death if we didn't do something. But we weren't completely dead. If you, if you go that route, then it changes everything because all of the sudden... It is you who were merely sick that then made the right choice that then, logically speaking, should get the praise for making the right choice. Now what Paul is saying, when he says, he says you were dead in your trespasses and sins, he's not saying you were physically dead at that point. What he's saying is that spiritually speaking, in terms of 
your own salvation, you were as incapable of saving yourself as a dead person would be of making themselves alive once they were already dead. That's what he's saying. It is complete and utter inability to save ourselves or to even contribute in any way toward our salvation. Now, I, I get it. We, we want some credit. We want to think, well, yeah, I was bad off, but, but come on, dead? Isn't that a little over the top? That's how God describes it. And to weaken that one ounce is to steal the glory from the one to whom it belongs. Only God in Christ. That's where the glory belongs. There's another thing Ephesians tells us in chapter 2. That we were children of wrath. And by uh, verse 3, and you were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. We shouldn't try to fool ourselves into thinking that if we were dead, then really pertaining to God, we're somehow neutral. In other words, we, you know, we're, we're not that offensive. We were just dead. Now, the Scripture says, in terms of your ability, you were as one who is dead. But in terms of being a friend or enemy of God, you were an enemy. That was our status before Christ. Outside of Christ, we're called children of wrath. Romans 5.10 says, For if we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son children of wrath who are enemies of the living God. Now that's the backdrop. That's what we were. And of course Ephesians fleshes that out and as does the rest of Scripture how hopeless our estate was that there was nothing and there is nothing we can do to earn our salvation. But Ephesians as well tells us we have become children of God. Now let me clarify that when I say we. It's a dangerous thing for one to assume that everyone is a child of God. Everyone is not a child of God. It's a deadly thing to teach that everyone is a child of God. And so, we've got to see what the Scripture says in terms of uh, a definition. And it's a deadly thing for anyone here to assume they are a child of God if they are not. As the pastor of St. Andrews 
That's my constant prayer. Uh, when I preach through the Gospel of Mark, we came to chapter 12 in Mark. Jesus is talking to one of the scribes, and after their conversation, he says this to that scribe, you are not far from the kingdom of God. That phrase haunted me. That phrase got so much into my soul that every morning, every single morning, I pray this. God, may no one who sits under our ministry here at St. Andrews be left not far from the kingdom of God. We can't assure people who are not believers that they are believers. That's the most unloving thing that we could ever do. And so uh, that's my constant prayer that I just cannot get over. So on what basis can the Father call us children of God then? Well, Ephesians 1.5. Now, you may notice if you're looking at the outline that, that these, are, these are kind of backwards, aren't they? In terms of how they came in Ephesians. The ones about what our status are uh, were in chapter 2, and now I'm going back to chapter 1 to talk about who we are in Christ if we are trusting in Him alone for our eternal life. If you remember in, uh, when we started Ephesians, that's how the Apostle Paul started. He's talking to these who are uh, in, in being persecuted as a minority in a pagan culture, and he starts out by talking to them about their identity and by emphasizing the great news, remember who you are in Christ. And so... What we see is he talks about us being adopted. Verse 5 of chapter 1. He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. Ferguson puts it this way. Our adoption is not a change in nature. It's a change in our status. He declares us righteous while we were unrighteous only because of the righteousness of Jesus do you get it Here, here's what happens okay we are enemies we are dead spiritually and God in his great mercy looks at those who are enemies of His, who are spiritually dead, and He says, I am adopting you into my family. You are my child, and Jesus is your brother. Amazing. He changed our status. It's a declaration that God 
makes about us. And is, as the Father, He's the only one that could possibly make that kind of a, a declaration. He says, today you are my child. And our answer is, but I don't have anything to offer you. You are my child. But I'm filthy and dirty. You are my child. But if I come into your family, I will mess up your house. Come into my family. You're my child. That's the change in status. And because of that, we have an inheritance coming. Let me read to you from Ephesians 1. Uh, and I'm going to read you two verses that talk about different parts, aspects of that inheritance. Verse 11 says, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. We have obtained. And then verse 14 says, he who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Now, I want to read you both of those uh, because they, they indicate two aspects of the inheritance, that, that it's ours, but we haven't fully possessed it yet. Right now, we are, are, are tasting a bit of it. It's the present and it's the future. It, it's like finding out that you are living with a family. Let's say you're living with a family and you find out that you've been put into their will. And you find out what you will someday inherit. Now, all of the things that you will someday inherit... They're not in your possession yet. They will be. But right now, because you're living in their house, you're getting a taste of it. You're experiencing some of the benefits of that inheritance. Now, here's the difference, though. Humanly speaking, you can be cut out of the will, right? You, you can be there and you can be concerned, well, you know, I, I better do that which is good and right or I, I might not inherit all of this. That's not the case with what Paul says is the guarantee of the Holy Spirit. In other words, because the Holy Spirit lives within the children of God who are trusting in Christ for their eternal life. Holy Spirit lives in there. That's the guarantee that you will have your full inheritance in the future. And that means we cannot lose our place in the family. Verse 13 of chapter 1 in Ephesians. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit, who's the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise 
of His glory. Here's, here's the point. Once you are uh, really a part of this family, you're not going to get kicked out. You can't do anything to get kicked out of his family if you're really a part of it. Now, I've known people, maybe some of you, who were virtually kicked out of their family because of their behavior or sometimes the behavior of their, their parents. It's an awful thing. And yet, in this family, as a child of the living God, you did not earn your way in, and you can't earn your way out. Thanks be to God for that. So here's some more good news. As we approach this table, because we're children of the living God, we're welcome at this table. By the way, this table is also a taste of the inheritance. It's only a taste, you know, a little morsel, a little piece of, of gluten-free bread, you know, and, and some fruit of the vine, just a little bit, not even enough really to wash it down. It's a taste. But it foreshadows the real feast, the wedding supper of the Lamb. That real feast where he will literally be our host that is prepared for his family. Now, every family table worth eating at has its rules. When our four children were growing up, here were some of our rules they had to wash their hands. Don't eat with your mouth full. I mean, no, don't, let's see, no, with your mouth open. Don't eat with your mouth open. Don't talk with your mouth full. I think I'd know them after all these years. Put your uh, napkin in your lap. No phone calls accepted during dinner. And then this is probably the most important one that even our extended family and anybody who visits us for a meal uh, needs to know. And that is, um, while I am eating, you are not permitted to ask me about how anyone's surgery went or <laughs> anything like that. I just shake my head and they, they stop. So that's one of our rules. Well, there are, in essence, rules for this table, too. Gracious, glorious rules that are for our benefit. I hesitate even to call them rules because that, that sounds negative. But here's what the Father says about this family table. 1 Corinthians 11, Paul I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 
In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And then here's, here's the warning. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. The idea there is the reminder that this is a a family table. So if you are not trusting in Christ alone, we're really glad you're here today. But we have this meal once a month together. And we want you to stay and we want you to watch. But the Father who has laid this out says, until you're one of my children, don't come to the table. Because to do so, you would in essence be pretending to be something that you're not. And that's making a mockery of this table that was laid out at a high cost. The cost of my son, he would say, on the cross. And so, when the elements come by, if you're not trusting in Christ alone, just let them pass pass them to the next person. Listen to what we believe about this. And we hope that someday, really soon, you will rightfully come to the table, not because of your own righteousness, but because you're trusting in Christ and what He's done for you. Or if you are part of the family and there's some, some sin that you're, you're holding on to that at this moment you're unwilling to repent of and you're holding on to that so tight that you won't give it up, then don't make a mockery of what Jesus has done. The best thing to do would be to repent and let go and enjoy this meal. But if you're unwilling to do that, just let the elements pass by. Nobody's looking at whether you're taking or not. This is between you and the Father who's given this this, um, gracious warning. Let's pray together. Lord, we do thank you for this beautiful table. We pray, Lord, we ask you to take these elements and set them apart from their ordinary, everyday use. This is just bread and fruit of the vine. We can have this in our own cupboards. We want you to use this to grow us spiritually as we commune with you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.